good morning again. My name is still Ryan Schreckengast. Uh, I'm one of the preachers here at GFC. Uh, and one of the things I haven't told you yet uh, is that I really, really love to read. Uh, and one of the reasons that I really love reading is because I love to learn new terms. Doesn't that just get you excited when you learn something new about a word? I know it does for me. Uh, and I remember reading The Three Musketeers when I was a young teen and coming across a, an interesting new term called carte blanche. Uh, carte blanche is a French term that literally means white card or a blank document. It's a form of written authority that may have been worded something like this. The bearer of this document acts in my name. And this carte blanche was issued by some sort of a supreme authority. And it doesn't specify what the recipient is authorized to do. They have complete authority. They have the ultimate authority to do anything that has been, whether good or for ill, they have the op authority to do whatever they want. And I won't spoil the plot of the Three Musketeers for our young readers, uh, but this carte blanche plays a crucial part in the story because it means that the bearer of this document can do anything with the authority of the one who wrote it. Now, over the past months, we've been reading the beginning of Luke, and Luke goes to an exhaustive and exceptional effort to lay out a clear and concise argument for the authority of Jesus Christ. And here in the new section, this section of the book, we're in the part that details Jesus' teaching ministry. Today we're going to be reading Luke 5, 1 through 32, which is on page 808 if you have one of the church Bibles. And these verses outline four interactions that Jesus has with various persons. And in each one of these interactions, Jesus is going to demonstrate two things. He is going to demonstrate that he has received full authority from God the Father. Complete authority. Carte blanche. And second, he will demonstrate exactly what it is that he will use that authority to do. And you'll see on your outline that first we will see that we do not need to fear bringing our sin to Jesus. Because second, he has the authority to cleanse us from it. And third, even to forgive. So that fourth, he can leave us healed from our sin. So let's start by reading Luke 5, 1 through 11. And see how Jesus responds to sin by casting out our fear as he exercises his authority to redeem us from sin. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Isn't this a a familiar Sunday school story? I'm sure that there are dozens of copies of various illustrated kids board books uh, that outline this story. But I think that as we look at the details here, we're going to see that this isn't just a nice story about one more of Jesus' miracles. But this is an incredible testimony to the authority of Jesus and his redemption from the power of sin. In these verses, Jesus had begun his teaching ministry throughout the region, and we've already seen his notoriety beginning to grow. So much so that in verses 1 through 3, Jesus is forced by crowds pressing in on him to commandeer a boat and pull away from the shore so that everyone there can hear him speak. And we start here by seeing this picture of the spiritual climate of the area at this time. People are hungry for the word of God, and they know where to find it. Jesus has already been speaking with authority, and now not only are the crowds anxious to hear him, but they are willing to go to great lengths to get the word of God. We see this pictured in Simon, who had just completed a full, exhausting, and above all, fruitless night of work. And he is willing to leave off And serve this teacher, possibly for a few hours more. So when Jesus tells Simon to go back out again and try to catch fish, it shows a tremendous amount of humility and obedience for Simon to reply as he does in verse 5, At your word, I will let down the nets. Simon, as well as the whole crowd, are ready to see God work. They're eager to hear the word of God. And so when Simon, who has this receptive heart, is faced with a demonstration, sorry, when they hear this and Simon obeys, Jesus doesn't just use his authority to demonstrate his power or even to just reward Simon for his faithfulness. Look at the result that comes in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am 
a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus' miracle goes far beyond the physical. He uses his authority to demonstrate to Simon and James and John who he really is. He reveals his identity. And so when they see this, when they recognize that Jesus is the Holy One of God, and they recognize that Jesus has every right and authority to pass judgment on them right then and there, when Jesus has full, complete, carte blanche authority to execute judgment, they fall down on their knees. Because of their sin. But what does Jesus do. With that complete authority. Look at the end of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon. Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. Jesus restores Simon. He redeems him. Jesus takes his profession of fisherman, which, by the way, he was failing at, at least at this instance, and he repurposes it to be used by his kingdom. How spectacular when Simon confesses his own identity as a sinner and he recognizes the identity of Jesus and the authority that he has to wipe him out Jesus says, do not be afraid. He uses this authority to transform Simon into an effective worker for his kingdom. And I love the way that this portion of this story ends in verse 11. It demonstrates how completely Simon has been transformed by this experience. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him they left the fish they abandoned the single greatest thing that had happened in their lives up until this point except it wasn't the greatest thing was it this miraculous event that gave them so many fish that the boats were literally sinking was just the beginning it was just a tool It was the introduction to the real greatest thing. The person of Jesus Christ. God's authorized and approved son. Who has come to call all men to repentance. So how does this apply? Church, don't be afraid to confess your sin to Jesus. We aren't told what sin Simon faced I don't know what sin you face, but I do know my own sin, and I know that it holds me back from serving the Lord effectively. I know that my sin is just as deserving of righteous judgment as Simon's sin was and as your sin is. And I confess that so often I am afraid. I'm afraid to admit in my heart and with my words just how serious of a thing That is. But I also know that when I can let go of that fear 
and I can confess it to the one who has all authority, Jesus. He will use that authority not to condemn, but to restore. Jesus has full authority. Not just authority to punish the unrighteous, but authority even to redeem and to restore. To exchange death for life. Friends, what an amazing God. So what does this redemption then look like? What will actually happen when this full, sickening weight of my sin comes into contact with a holy God? What if my sin is too terrible? Well, let's move on to the second point and read in verses 12 through 16 to see what Jesus will use his authority to do to cleanse us from sin. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This story is fundamentally a personified account of the war between the clean and the unclean. Now, let me clarify here that this concept of cleanliness in the Bible has nothing to do with your personal hygiene. And that's good for some of us. (laughs) Uh, Clean or unclean is a question of what is authorized and what is unauthorized. From the Old Testament and throughout the Jewish culture, there were two states in which a person or a thing could exist. Either clean and authorized to participate and enter into God's sacred place, or unclean and unauthorized to participate and enter into God's sacred place. So as Jesus is continuing his ministry, he is confronted by a man with leprosy. He encounters the unclean literally personified. In the context of the Jewish people, leprosy wasn't simply just a mycobacterium that causes a painful and disfiguring disease. It may have actually included a variety of skin diseases, and it was a physical manifestation of this defilement of being unclean. And one of the major dangers was that it spread. In Leviticus 13 through 14, God provides detailed instructions and laws concerning the effect that this leprosy has on people and even on clothing and houses. 
Fundamentally, a person with active leprosy was unclean and must be separated from the community. They were separated from their families. They were separated from the temple. They were separated from God because of their uncleanness and the fact that this uncleanness can spread. In addition, Leviticus 5 explains that anyone or anything that either knowingly or unknowingly comes into contact with this unclean person, they themselves become guilty and unclean. And they have to make an offering as part of their ritual repentance and cleansing. So why does all of this even matter? Friends, it's because Jesus has authority. Jesus has complete authority. By God's law, anyone who touches an unclean person is made unclean. But look at the miracle in verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Friends, the holy and the unclean cannot coexist. One must give way to the other. And God's law says that if something holy touches something unclean, the holy thing is defiled and made unclean. But Jesus has full authority. He has God's authority to cleanse. So when his holiness encounters the unclean, he is not defiled. It is made clean. Wow. There is no one like this Jesus. Why did God's why did God's law make such a drastic consequence in the first place? Because more than a physical disease, God cares about the diseases of our soul. Our sin. God is holy and his holiness and our sin cannot coexist. This is why mankind has been separated from him since the very beginning. And why the consequences of our sin are truly dire. The consequences are death and separation from God just like the results of leprosy were. And just like leprosy, sin spreads. Our sin doesn't only have consequences for us. Everyone that our sin touches is damaged too, except for Jesus. Jesus has full authority. When he encounters our sin, if we fall on our face and say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He makes us clean. There is no other being with this authority. No amount of washing 
or of even our tears or our good deeds can cleanse this disease of sin from our spirits. Only Jesus. So what does this mean for you? You can know that your sin is not too terrible for Jesus. Jesus cannot be overwhelmed by your sin. If sin and a holy God cannot coexist, then the one that is more powerful will obliterate the other one. And friends, Jesus is more powerful. So you don't need to fear. You can bring your sin fearlessly to him. And you can know that he is fully authorized. And he is fully capable of cleansing the unclean. So we see that we do not need to fear because Jesus has the authority to cleanse. But what happens, friends, if we sin again? If we defile ourselves? If we become unclean again? This is the issue that Luke addresses next. In the third section, we will see Jesus use his authority to do something even deeper and longer lasting than cleansing. Jesus will use his authority to forgive. Read with me verses 17 through 26. On one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law... Sorry, on one of those days he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose, he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things this day. So as Jesus continues to expand his ministry, 
In addition to his teaching, the power of God is on Jesus to heal, as it says in verse 7. And this is understandably drawing all sorts of crowds. Everybody wants a piece of this healing. So there are a lot of witnesses present. So many so that there was no room to even enter the building. And presumably, all the people present had already seen great miracles of healing. But this is a different sort of climate from what we read about in verses 1 through 11. Here, the Pharisees and the teachers, at the very least, were skeptical. People are excited to receive healing. But many of them are missing the point. The point is that Jesus has the authority of God. And yet many of them just don't see it. And that's why it's significant that here we have this group of men that distinguish themselves by their faith. It's interesting that in verse 20, the man, singular, is forgiven because of their, plural, faith. I'm not going to go into detail here, but I think that he is part of that group. The man himself is part of the men who have faith. And it's clear that here are men that believe. And so Jesus gets right to the point. He exercises his God-given authority to give this man something that only he can. Forgiveness. Did you notice that he doesn't heal the paralyzed man of his paralysis? He heals him from his sin. This is so much greater than mere bodily healing. And I think that because of their faith, these men know it. Just as the disciples abandoned their miraculous catch of fish in order to follow Jesus, I think that these men recognize that in the face of their forgiveness of their sin, bodily healing is secondary. They recognize the importance of what Jesus just did. And so too do the scribes and the Pharisees. They recognize this also, but they do not have faith. We see their assumptions in verse 21. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And ironically, this is the right question, isn't it? The answer is, of course, no one, no one can forgive sins but God alone. So Jesus either is a blasphemer and a fraud or else he really does have the authority that he claims to have. After all, if Jesus were a fraud, it would be easy to claim that a man's sins are forgiven If only God can forgive sins, only God is going to know if this man's sins are actually forgiven. So in verses 23 through 24, Jesus recognizes this very thing and he demonstrates his authority in a visible way. Which is easier to say? 
your sins are forgiven you. Or to say, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he does it. We see yet again the result of Jesus exercising his absolutely unique authority as the son of man. He leads them all, the entire crowd, to be amazed and to glorify God. This is what the Son is all about. Bringing glory to the Father. So what does this mean for us? It means that we have hope in Jesus. Eternal hope. Not just a hope for being cleansed temporarily, but hope of being forgiven. A clean person can become unclean again. But a forgiven person can never be unforgiven. Forgiveness is so much greater than the covering of sin. Forgiveness is a fundamental transformation of our being. And Jesus has the authority to even forgive. He has the authority to validate our faith in him. He is who he says he is. And he can accomplish for God the reconciliation of sinners to him. Friends, we are crippled in our sin. We are paralyzed. And like this paralytic man, we have no hope of ever walking home. Of walking home to be with God. But Jesus can forgive us. When we put our faith in Jesus... He does what we could never do for ourselves. He can forgive us. This whole process that we've been talking about this morning is captured perfectly in 1 John 1.9. It says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can a holy God be both faithful and just. Just. As he forgives our sins. Yes. Because Jesus has the authority. So in these verses so far, we've seen that Jesus tells us not to fear because he has complete authority to cleanse us from our sin and even to forgive us eternally. Which should leave really only one single question left. Will he do it for me? If we're honest, we say with the leper, you are able, Lord, if you will, 
you can make me clean. And we wait breathlessly to see if he wills. So in this last section, read with me verses 27 through 32 and see who Jesus uses his authority to heal from sin. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there, were a, there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So in this last section, Jesus covers another of the most hated social classes of the Jewish people at the time, the tax collector. Tax collectors had a reputation of supporting the oppressive rule of Rome, as well as often collecting more taxes than they were supposed to and keeping the difference for themselves. The tax collector was the personification of the selfish traitor that benefited from the abuse and the misery of the people who were under their power. And this reputation has been justified in many biblical accounts. So the accusation of the Pharisees and the scribes in verse 30 that Jesus was eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners was not unfounded. This isn't a group of people that are misunderstood or who are unjustly being persecuted. They really are sinners. They really are. However, Jesus' view of sinners isn't to avoid them. It's to call them. This is the only story of the four that we have without an overt miracle. But I think that this is the one where Jesus most clearly expresses exactly how he uses his carte blanche authority to bring glory to God the Father. The most glorious thing isn't catching lots of fish. The most glorious thing isn't healing a skin disease. The most glorious thing isn't healing paralysis. Friends, the most glorious thing is the fact that a holy God can call sinners to be with him. God is the great physician and he has come. He came not in spite of sinners for the righteous, but for sinners. Verses 31 and 32. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. Repentance means to turn away from one thing and toward another thing. And when these men sit down with Jesus, he is calling them to be healed, to turn away. They no longer need to be slaves to their sin. They have the opportunity to repent. God would be completely within his right as the holy creator to obliterate every last sinner that has ever walked the earth. Friends, that's you and me. But instead, he authorized his son to pay the price of justice and to call even God's enemies to be reunited with him. And that, my friends, is glorious. And every person in this room, whether you have accepted that payment by Jesus or if you haven't done that yet, we have the opportunity to hear Jesus call us to repentance. To turn away from our sin. We are all sinners. And that means that Jesus came for us. None of us is righteous. But Jesus has complete authority. And he will exercise this authority to heal. So, will he hear will he heal you? Yes. He will if you humble yourself like Simon and like the leper and like the paralytic and you ask him to heal you of your sin. So, one final application. Repent of your sin. Turn away from it and just ask Jesus to forgive you. Recognize your true condition and repent. Sin is so much easier to hide from each other than a skin disease or atrophied legs. But it is so much more destructive. And while it may be hidden from each other, It is not hidden from God. So this morning, please hear Jesus calling you to repent. Turn from your sin and toward the love of Jesus. And that perfect love will cast out all of your fear in coming before him. Allow Jesus to use his authority to make you clean and to restore you to God. That's why Jesus came. He is calling you to be a part of that glorious work. So please listen. Hear the call of the one who has all authority, who is authorized by God to redeem you from your sin to cleanse you from your unrighteousness and to completely, completely forgive you and to heal your sin.
Friends, hear his call and repent. Let's pray. Father God, I do this before you now, Lord. I repent. God, I do not want to be in my sin. Please take me, restore me, forgive me, God. Unite me again with your Father. Lord, we thank you for this amazing opportunity that you have given us in Jesus Christ. That you can be both faithful and just as you forgive us, God. So Lord, please call out clearly to all the people who are hearing this that they would hear your voice calling them to turn away, to repent, to turn towards you, God, and to depend fully and completely on your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for all that you do for us and that you are so loving and so kind to us, God. In your name, Lord, we pray, amen.